0: Alright, good morning. I will call us to worship this morning with Psalm 118. Uh, Others can hear me, yes. Alright. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength, and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hound of the Lord does valiantly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, honoring you and praising you for the great salvation that you have brought us. We were lost in sin, and guilt and misery, apart from the great sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us, and we return our praise and our thanks. I ask that you would heal those among us who are at home sick. There are multiple families that are. Pray that you would uh, comfort them, and that they would be able to watch the service through live streaming, and that uh, technology would work well. I pray also uh, that you would be with other churches. Who are not able to meet because of uh, their circumstances, I ask that you would uh, bless them as they still try to honor you with what they, with what opportunities they have, and that you would hasten the day when all are able to meet without issue. God, I pray for the gospel that you would allow the gospel to go forth, even at this time when uh, I infrequent that people have interpersonal communication as as they frequently used to. I ask that you would give us opportunities and that we would be able to meet people's needs with this great gospel that you have given. I ask that you would bless the counseling ministry of this church that is seeking to do that. I pray also that you would uh, grant our government wisdom as they make the various laws that they make And make the various decisions that they make. Pray that you would grant each individual salvation. We know that is not your will for all to come to salvation, but we pray that you would save many of those who are who are making rules and making laws. We ask that you would be merciful to them. God, uh, we also pray for this service that we are about to have. Pray that you would find our worship acceptable. There is nothing in ourselves that makes it acceptable. Our hearts are mingled with sin and error. Our actions are mingled with sin and error. But we know that these things are accepted if they are offered in your Son. And I pray that you would accept them in your perfect Son as he mediates them to you. Please accept our worship. Please accept our praise and our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to move now to the uh, catechism teaching for today. Question is number 81 in the Baptist Catechism, is what is the ninth commandment? Now in uh, subsequent weeks, we'll talk about what is required by the ninth commandment, what is forbidden by the ninth commandment. But very simply, what the ninth commandment is, is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And that of course comes from Exodus 20, 16, when God gives the 10 commandments. No, I was trying to teach uh, some of my daughters what it means to bear false witness, because they kept forgetting. It means to lie, it means to tell something other than the truth. Uh, this is something very serious to God, because God is truth, it is his very character. And as we are supposed to be imitators of him, we ought to be telling the truth and acting truthfully. But thank God, he has made a way for us to be forgiven. You see, Jesus, when he was crucified, he was, he was crucified on account of people accusing him of having borne false witness about who he was because he claimed to be the son of God. So though he was wrongly accused of this, he bore the guilt, the penalty for all those who are rightly accused of lying. So if you have ever told a lie or a mistruth or not spoken the truth when you ought to have, as everybody here I am certain is guilty of then you need the grace of Jesus Christ. And thank God the Father has offered that in His Son through the sacrifice of a perfect man who never lied. And it is Him today that we come together to, to worship and praise. I would like to read to you about this Son, about this Son of God and the praise that He deserves. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke Chapter 19, and we'll start reading from verse 28. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you and they said the lord has need of it and they brought it to jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set they set jesus on it and he rode along as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down to the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. God, I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Now, you may have noticed that the order of service this morning has been different than it typically is we have not sung we have skipped over singing and we have saved that for a later portion of the service because today singing is a bit more momentous for us singing is a bigger decision to make you may have heard that the california state government has outlawed singing in churches now there are actually several reasons why this does not apply to our particular gathering the most obvious of which being that it only applies to churches that are meeting indoors, and we are not meeting indoors. However, Santa Clara County has outlawed singing at all gatherings, indoor or outdoor. Now, it is not clear to me whether or not Santa Clara County intended to outlaw singing in something as safe as what we are doing, in something like a drive-in service. Previous versions of the regulations they have published have uh, distinguished between uh in-person services and out person and, and outdoor services uh so excuse me indoors and outdoors and then drive-in services as a different category however the current set of regulations says nothing about drive-in services so i don't know if that was their intent but as written they've outlawed singing in churches Now, we have before us a great decision. Beep. This is read. <laughs> this has brought up uh, many different questions and thoughts. Certainly, it brings up a reminder to us that we ought to be praying for our government. We ought to be praying for their salvation. We ought to be praying for their wisdom, so that they would act justly and uh, not restrain us from worship but also brings to mind questions about what is the proper role of government? What are its limitations? And unfortunately, I don't have all the answers for you. These are things that Pastor Josh and I are still working through for ourselves. At the same time, I would like to approach this particular issue of singing today with a very simple premise. That simple premise is that Acts 5 says that we ought to obey God rather than man and that the reason that we sing is because we have a command from God. God commands us to sing, so when we gather and to sing, it's not just because we can freely do what we want, but because God has commanded us to do that. Now that is not an absolute command, so that no other command can supersede it. There have been times when other commands of God have superseded it. For example, you knew that a couple months ago, we weren't meeting, we weren't singing together. uh, Because of the health concerns, So I'm not suggesting that there aren't other commands that can supersede it, but when we do uh, sing, we sing because we have a command from God, not because we have freedom and simply do what we want. And so while the government can certainly inform us of the health concerns, while they can uh, persuade us that the health concerns are too great, they do not have the ability to change the inherent rightness or wrongness of whether or not to sing. If God has given us command and it is right to sing given the current risks and the measures we've taken then the government making a statement does not change the rightness of wrongness of this so we today do not have the luxury of being able to defer our decision to someone else to hand off that responsibility to someone else to decide for us we must decide for ourselves and the reason we must decide is because this is not something Uh, where they have the uh, expertise and authority to decide now i am not a health expert so i cannot i cannot tell you of uh, the dangers that we face and i I do not intend to however the the judgments that are being made right now are not just judgments based on health risks they're judgments based on values there is a reason that uh, restaurants are allowed to operate. It's not because large-scale restaurants, large-scale restaurant operations are inherently less risky than several people gathering to sing three songs once a week, but because the county knows that people find restaurants valuable. And the reason why daycares are allowed to continue is not because daycares are inherently less risky than several people meeting to sing three songs together, once a week, but because they know that we live in a culture that is very dependent on the operation of daycares and values them highly. You see, we have to make a value judgment about how valuable singing is and is not something that they have the expertise to tell us. And so I would like us to look at this passage that talks about the value of singing. Now I know that this passage is not a perfect analogy for what we face today. You know, you will see people singing, and then authorities tell them to stop, but Jesus confidently asserts that, no, the singing must go on. It is not a perfect analogy for what we have today. We face a different set of circumstances. Yet at the same time, this passage speaks to the value of singing, and it speaks to the courage of continuing despite what voices of authority say. So I'd like to for us to examine this passage, Luke 19, 37-40. I would like us to consider how God values his worship, how he values song. I would like us to uh, consider uh, its importance and the courage that we ought to have to do so despite voices of authority. And I would like you to also consider that singing is inevitable. That's that's something I want you to really latch on to, that singing is inevitable. Jesus says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There's no way to stop singing. It is inevitable. And that is one of the things that should direct the way we think about this matter. So as we look at this passage, and we consider what's going on. Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem, having, having traveled from elsewhere in Judea. And this is significant as people have gathered around him and recognized more and more that this is the Son of God, this is the true Messiah, this is the true King of Israel, they recognize that him entering the capital city, entering Jerusalem, is him approaching the throne. This is the King approaching the throne. And that warrants praise. Uh, This is something we owe to him. It says in verse 37, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, Jesus had performed all kinds of mighty works. He had raised the dead. He had brought uh, sight to blind people. But these miracles, while fantastic were Primarily illustrations of a greater miracle. You see Jesus did not just open physical eyes. He opened spiritual eyes that could not see the truth He did not just raise the physical dead, but he raised the spiritually dead who need life So these reasons why they were singing are the same reasons that we have to sing today That he has brought us life. If you are one who trusts in Jesus Christ You have life on the cross he died and bore the penalty for our sins. If you remember back before you had salvation or if you do not yet know the Lord, you know the, the weight of sin and guilt. You know how much people, uh, how much effort people spend to try to get rid of this weight of sin and guilt. This is something that Jesus has done away with on the cross by bearing the penalty so that we don't have to. You know how much people spend, how much effort people put into trying to preserve their lives. Jesus granted us eternal life so that we might rise again. In response, this is something we owe him because the salvation is so great. Now maybe you don't think of singing as something you owe God. You think of it as something that you do on a weekly basis but not as something that you owe to Jesus Christ for the salvation he has given. But if that's the case that you aren't thinking in those terms, think about how great This salvation is if this salvation is so great if you think about what it is exactly that he has saved you from you will realize how much you owe now this is not just something uh, we owe him it is something that we've been freed to do you see when people sing in song they don't they don't sing as though uh, it is something that's uh, a burden and you know required of them even though it is required of them They sing with joy. You see when Christ saves us, he gives us hearts of joy so that we are free to sing with uh, with hearts that are joyful. If you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, first question says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are to enjoy him forever, but there can be no enjoyment of him. When we face death, there can be no enjoyment of him when we are burdened by sin and guilt. But when he has saved us, we are freed to enjoy him. And we should take every advantage of that freedom that we have. Now, from our end, we owe praise to Christ. But this is a two-way relationship. From Christ's end, he deserves praise. Let's keep reading here in verse 38 saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord you see he is a king that speaks of his regal status if he is a king he is high and he is majestic and part of the point of a king is to to defeat enemies to give the people peace and this is something that jesus has done you see this phrase right here blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord that comes from Psalm 118, the psalm we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 118, 26 says, "'Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord.'" So the people recognize that he is worthy of praise because he is a high and mighty king. And they say, "'Peace in heaven.'" Peace in heaven because he is a king who has brought peace because he has defeated enemies. Now this peace is said to be in heaven meaning that this is not just an earthly peace like when a king physically defeats his enemies but this peace is something greater than that there is a spiritual battle going on and while that spiritual battle uh, still rages in a sense it has already been won because jesus has assured the victory and from these people's perspective they're waiting for the king to take his throne to do it from our perspective we look back at the resurrection and we know that he already has he already has defeated the enemies. And so because of that, he is worthy of our praise. You know, this peace in heaven, if you have trouble thinking about what peace in heaven looks like or feels like, think of this. You know, people uh, talk about inner peace often. And really, why don't people have inner peace? It is because they are at war. It's because they are at war with God. But through the gospel, Jesus has made it possible decide with God's kingdom and be free. Be free so that we uh, have peace with God and we don't have to be at war with him. You know, people pay therapists all kinds of money to get that kind of peace. But Jesus has provided it freely. How much does he deserve song? So they say glory in the highest. Glory is the... Uh, demonstration or a recognition of how great and awesome God is. So when they say glory in the highest, what they are saying or wishing or, uh, or declaring should be the case that all the angels in heaven, the highest, that's heaven, all the angels in heaven worship God because of the great salvation that he has provided in his son, Jesus Christ. Glory in the highest. Now, uh, this this is significant because these phrases, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, those are things above the earth. And yet these people singing here in this passage are singing on the earth. That shows us that our singing here on the earth is supposed to be a reflection of the worship that is going on in heaven. And this is way of thinking about our worship and our singing really should change it should be transformative if you consider how we are singing in light of eternity it really changes the way that you think about these things you know in eternity we are going to have perfect bodies we'll be able to sing perfectly those who have problems with their voice uh, will no longer maybe mine will be less nasal maybe you all uh, will have greater lung capacity or or higher range or I don't know I don't know how how great my voice will sound then but we will have more excellent voices there will also not be uh, doctrinal disputes that divide churches and keep them from worshipping together there will also uh, not be disagreements about how we ought to worship so that every Christian will be able to worship together in peace because everyone will know but we need to use the Trinity hymnal and uh, piano music. It's a joke. It, it's, it's different when you don't have the uh, audible laughter. There will be no self-consciousness. People won't worry what others think. There will be no fear. And if we have that in mind, that is what we are supposed to be reflecting. It sets the, it sets the bar higher it helps us to think about it now if you're intrigued about how we should worship there's a book I'd like to re- recommend to you called true worshipers by Bob Coughlin and the very last chapter talks about this worshiping and anticipation of uh, eternity and it's a it's a very good chapter I would highly recommend now praise praise of Jesus we've seen that we owe it to him. He deserves it. This praise is most uh, climatically exhibited in song. Now, thus far, uh, we've not actually seen the word praise you know, or sing. I've been, I've been talking about singing and song, but this passage doesn't actually use the word sing or song. So how do we know that singing is going on here? Well, uh, first of all, it says they praise god with a loud voice how do you get multiple people to praise god with a singular loud voice it's through song you know they aren't chanting like at a protest they are singing and psalm 118 the words that they are using are a song the psalms are meant for singing and moreover psalm 118 if you read the words is very uh, explicit about being a song You know, it says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There's a lot of words about about singing in Psalm 118. So these people are singing to the Lord. You know, there's a reason that uh, we tend to use the word worship to refer exclusively to singing. Now, this church, you don't see that as much. We tend to use the word worship to refer to Bible reading, to, to prayer, to all different aspects of worship. But a lot of people tend to use the word worship to refer exclusively to singing. And there's a reason for that. It's because this really is the most climatic expression of our praise. This is uh, very important to God. You see it all over the Bible. You have hundreds and hundreds of references to uh, the song. There are nearly 50 direct exhortations to sing. And you see singing often paired with other acts of worship, for example. After Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he then went on to sing a hymn with his disciples. This is very important to God. In fact, it's so important the Bible even describes him as singing. In Zephaniah 317, talking about our salvation, talking about the same reason that the people are singing here, it says that God exalts over his people in song. Now, God does not have a mouth like ours or a voice like ours. But the Bible wants us to know that the closest thing uh, in this world to describe God's disposition toward salvation is song that he sings over the salvation of his people. Now, if our task on this earth as image bearers of God is to further be like him and further reflect his character and who he is, then we ought to be singing as well. Just like we taught on the ninth commandment, the reason that we ought to be truthful is because God is truth. The reason that we ought to sing is because God sings. It is a reflection of His character. We're supposed to value the things He values. We're supposed to sing in joy of our salvation because He sings in joy of our salvation. There are a lot of reasons that we sing. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says that we are supposed to let the uh, word dwell in us richly. And then when it explains how we are to let that happen, it says by singing to each other songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. You see, the, one of the purposes of singing is to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly so that we can uh, memorize the truth that God has given us. It also says in Ephesians uh, 5.19 that we're to sing songs, hymns, and uh, the spiritual songs to each other with melody in our heart. Song is something that engages the emotions in the way that other aspects of worship, like prayer and reading the Bible, do not. Song is, uh, song engages the emotion and it gives vent to the emotion. The people here in this passage, they have emotions about their salvation. They have emotion about this King that is coming and they give vent to it. They express it in the way that God has commanded via song. so as we think about these things as we think about uh, making melody in our hearts we should sing to god uh, loudly we should sing to god loudly not being self-conscious because we are to be singing to others you know it's a little hard for us to hear each other while we're in our cars but but you can if you if you sing loudly enough we should also be singing uh daily Right, God calls us to worship daily. Now, a lot of people limit that to other elements of worship, like reading their Bible every day and praying every day. But singing is also an element of worship. We ought to be singing to God every day. Whether you're single or whether you have a family to worship with, I would highly commend singing every day. And... I would also recommend that just like with other acts of worship where we seek to improve ourselves, we seek to improve our Bible study, we seek to improve our, our prayer, that we also seek to improve our singing. Now that's not something you hear very often because singing is one of those things where it's very obvious that people have different skills and different talents and you don't want to impose on someone a burden that they can't handle. But if we are to improve ourselves and other aspects of our worship, we should also be seeking to improve ourselves in song. Now, that might mean different things for different people. It's not always going to mean picking up an instrument and learning it, or taking voice lessons. It could mean uh, memorizing a song so that when it comes up in our hymnal, that you'll be able to sing along without being distracted by trying to keep up, but be able to make a greater melody in your heart. Or maybe it means singing daily, so you become more accustomed to singing. Just like other acts of worship, you should be seeking to improve in your worship of God through song. Now, the stark reality that comes after this verse is that because singing is the climactic expression of our praise for God, that it will be always opposed by the world. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see these people praising God as king, or excuse me, praising Jesus as king. Uh, The Pharisees do not believe that Jesus is king. They do not think he should be worshipped as king. And so they tell him to rebuke his disciples, keep them from singing. Uh, They do not not value the song. They do not uh, appreciate it. They despise it. And really, is that any different than what is going on today? Now, you might object to this and you might say, oh, despising is a really harsh word. I don't think anyone despises singing. Certainly those who have uh, made rules for the counting do not despise singing. I'm just using the word biblically. If you consider what the Bible says about Esau, that he despised his blessing. right? Now, I think if you read Genesis and you consider what it says about Esau and his blessing, you will not think that he hated uh, the blessing and what it entailed you would think, rather, he, he valued it very little. He valued it less than a bowl of soup. That's what's going on today. People have made their value judgments and they despise singing. You might object again and say, oh, but they're not remaking, making a, a religious judgment. They're not condemning um, uh, this belief like the Pharisees were, that, that Jesus is king. Well, I would say to you that... I don't believe that someone who believes that jesus came would make laws outlawing praise to him and you might say well they aren't being partial they have been partial they have been partial allowing other uh, facilities and businesses to do things indoors for example uh you know up until the more recent uh california order if you've heard that the county was willing to uh, the county was willing to have all sorts of businesses operate indoors except for churches. Churches not allowed to. And it's been partial from the beginning. From the beginning, it was declared that things like liquor stores were essential, and yet churches not essential. You can't have a different set of values and try to operate on them and not be partial. This is partiality. And you might object again and say, uh, excuse me. You might object again and say, but they're doing it for our good. You know, they're trying to they're trying to care for us. I would say that that is what the Pharisees were doing as well. The Pharisees were trying to do this for the people's good. The Pharisees believed that it was wrong to worship Jesus like this and that it was in the people's best interest that they stopped. There's no amount of well-meaningness that changes the nature of this very real persecution that we are under right now. Now, a lot of people would, would uh, object to using the word persecution like that. But once again, I'm just trying to use the word the way the Bible does. You know, people might say, oh persecution, that only applies to those who are under, uh, are, are fearing for their very lives. You know, people in other countries who are killed for being Christians. The Bible never uses the word so narrowly. It applies to all sorts of suffering. And as just one example of this, uh, consider the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, blessed are those blessed are those who are persecuted now the opposite end of that is woe to those who are not persecuted and we know that because luke also uh, records a similar sermon in which jesus is offering blessings and woes and jesus says blessed are those uh blessed are you when people speak ill of you for my name's sake but woe to you when all speak well of you we know that each woe or each blessing jesus also followed by a woe for those who did not fall in this category that category blessed are the persecuted means woe to those who are not persecuted if you are not suffering in some measure for christ if you are not uh, resisting temptation if you are not um, uh, suffering the the low thoughts of others as they despise you and the things you value you are not truly a follower of Christ. So I think it's important to use this language biblically the way that Jesus in the Bible uses this language, that this is persecution. But despite all this persecution, singing must go on. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. And Jesus is confident in his assertion. Now, uh, there are two strains of thought on this. One is that some people say that uh, the stones crying out is, are because they're witnessing injustice, right? And that comes from Havocah 2.11. It talks about stones and a wall witnessing injustice. However, I think the more reasonable assertion is that all of creation is bent on praising God. All of creation exists to praise God and to assist us in our praise of God so that if we were not to praise God, creation itself would. And you see that earlier in Luke 2, in Luke three eleven, In Luke three eleven, uh, Jesus says that, uh, that God would be able to raise up from these stones, sons for Abraham, right? The people uh, consider themselves God's people because they're sons of Abraham and Jesus says, that if they are not praising God rightly, he will raise up for himself uh, sons for Abraham out of the very stones. The idea being that if this opportunity is missed, it will be given to someone else. And that nation, as they by and large, rejected Jesus, the opportunity did go to someone else. The gospel went out to the Gentiles, and others ended up being the ones who primarily praised the Lord. You do not want to to miss this opportunity. God knows what is good for us. We have been freed, freed for this. We have been freed for this opportunity. We have been freed from the fear of death. We've, by the gospel, we've, we're free from the fear of death. We don't need to worry about death because we will one day live again. Because of the gospel, we are free from the fear of man because what can man do? Man can kill us, but cannot destroy our soul. And we've been freed to worship God without restraint. We have been freed so that we can have a pure joy and worship him without, without second thought. There are a lot of people capitalizing on fear right now because it is in their best interest. But I would like you to consider this matter without fear, as God has called you to think about the matter. You must make these decisions for yourself. We cannot offload them off to somebody else when we have been given a command. So if all you know is fear, then I encourage you to trust in Christ. But if you already know him, then I would ask you to consider the matter rationally and without fear, whether or not the situation really warrants ridding ourselves of song to the one who deserves song above all others. So I know that this is a confusing time. I know I don't have all the answers, but I know several things. That is it. Corporate worship, corporate song is of inestimable importance. And those who have made the judgments they have made have made their judgments by a different set of values. And we must make our judgments by the right values. Fear of death, controlling our worship, is no way to live, but fear of God is. And I pray that as you look at this passage and you consider the value of worship, that you will be encouraged to worship him because singing is inevitable. God will bring song to himself one way or the other. We ought to praise him as we ought, the opportunity will be stripped away. Praise him for the great salvation we have so that we can sing full of joy. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, your word and the clarity it gives us. We acknowledge though that we and ourselves are often not that clear. I acknowledge that I am not that clear. I wish that I were a better speaker, a more able uh, more able presenter of your word. Yet at the same time, I have confidence in what you have given us. I pray that you would give each one of us confidence as we seek to serve you rightly. And I pray that you would help us in the days and weeks ahead as we continue to deal with the situation in which we've been placed. In Jesus' name, amen.